Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's SpudSmart Roundtable Series webinar. My name is Ashley Robinson, and I'm the editor of SpudSmart. Today, I'll be serving as your host for this webinar. Today's theme is using fertilizer on your spud field sustainably. I'd like to take a minute to thank McCain for partnering with us on this Roundtable Series webinar. Today's presenters are Mackenzie Smith, Director of Stewardship and Regulatory Affairs at Fertilizer Canada, John Masco, Executive Director of the Potato Sustainability Alliance, and Erica Wagner, who is the uh, Potato Crop Manager at Yara North America. In today's webinar, you'll learn about Fertilizer Canada's 4F for our nutrient stewardship program. The role the Potato Sustainability Alliance plays in fertilizer usage and correct fertilizer usage for growing potatoes. During the presentation, you'll likely have some questions for our speakers. Please type these into the chat box at any time during the webinar and we'll address them during the question and answer session after the presentation. Today's webinar is being recorded and will be made available at spudsmart.com following this live event. Our first presenter is Mackenzie Smith, who is Director of Stewardship and Regulatory Affairs at Fertilizer Canada. She's responsible for the development of policy and programs related to sustainable nutrient management and environmental stewardship. In this role, she works to promote and advance the 4R Nutrient Stewardship Program, which allows the agriculture industry to demonstrate its commitment to sustainable nutrient management. Specifically, she directs the development and expansion of Fertilizer Canada's 4R designation and 4R certification programs and provides leadership on several files, including the 4R Research Network and Fertilizer Use Survey. Mackenzie continues to build upon key national and regional partnerships to ensure an increase in awareness, the awareness and adoption of 4R nutrient stewardship by Canadian growers and sustainability platforms. Take it away, please, Mackenzie. Thanks, Ashley. You can hear me okay? We can. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for the introduction. And thank you to Spencer for the uh, invitation to uh, present for Nutrient Stewardship to you today. Um, I'm excited to be here and present along with the other speakers. And I welcome any questions you might have. I look forward to the roundtable discussion. Um, as Ashley mentioned, my name is Mackenzie Smith and I'm Director of Stewardship and Regulatory Affairs at Fertilizer Canada, uh, where I oversee our foreign nutrient stewardship program across the country. Uh, you've probably heard uh, foreign nutrient stewardship before, um, but we are challenged as an agricultural industry to meet um, uh, the growing global demand for increased food production while also um, protecting our environment and responding to climate change. And uh, this is a very unique challenge um, that we're faced with. And foreign nutrient stewardship is one important tool we believe can help meet this challenge um, over the coming years. Uh, so you probably heard for nutrient stewardship before. If you haven't, uh, it's pretty straightforward in terms of what it means. Um, it is a sustainable way of applying your nutrients and it uh, includes the right source, um, which means applying um, 
the source of uh, nutrients that are needed by the crop, um, you know, macronutrients like MP and K that you see on the screen, along with micronutrients. Uh, right rate is the amount of those nutrients that you would apply. It is considering uh, organic sources like manure and uh, nutrients that are already in the soil, taking a soil sample, and then um, adding uh, fertilizer to ensure that the right amounts of each of those nutrients are available to the crop considering what's already there. Uh, and then right time and right place, uh, pretty self-explanatory, applying nutrients at a time when the crop can use them best, um, not before rainfall or, um, you know, or during the certain crop uh, growth um, timeframes. Uh, and then right place, same idea, applying the nutrients subsurface below the soil next to the root type. Um, uh, so that the nutrients can uh, be optimized by the crop and taken up and in turn less loss to our environment through um, volatilization to air or through runoff um, to water. So working hand in hand, um, you know, from all perspectives of sustainability, including the environmental, economic and social benefits of nutrient management plans. So obviously environmental, as I touched on, you know, sustaining and improving your soil quality reducing runoff to the environment or, or losses to air, also helping with biodiversity by converting marginal land or more sustainably intensifying your crop production on um, cropland. Uh, economic benefits in terms of increased yields um, from improved nitrogen management practices and making the most of your dollars spent on fertilizer. So back to ensuring that um, we're optimizing how much nutrients are being taken up by the plant, less loss to the environment, and therefore, you know, more um, uh, more return on your investment in terms of fertilizer applications. Uh, there's also social um, implications, not only locally, but globally as well. Um, this is food production. We're looking at global food security. And as I mentioned, sort of the balance between improving and increasing food production on less land to meet a growing global population, um, but also protecting our environment for years to come and, and preserving that as well. Uh, so I won't get too into the weeds. I, I know maybe other speakers might speak to this in a little bit more detail, but at a high level, the right source, as I mentioned, is uh, suiting the soil properties. So obviously across Canada, the right um, nitrogen source or other fertilizer sources may differ or would differ if you're looking at, say, a canola crop in Western Canada on dry soil versus something in central Canada or more specifically to this conversation, potato production in, in Atlantic Canada. Um, so the source is the first kind of determine uh, what you need to determine first in terms of what is needed to um, be applied to that specific crop and then what type of source, so what type of nitrogen source or other um, fertilizers would best suit that crop and soil and um, taking into consideration, like I said, soil moisture or crop type. Also ensuring a balanced supply, so not adding more nutrients of something that's already there um, in the soil or already applied with an organic source like manure, but looking at what is missing and making sure that that is present in your um, prescription, I guess, of what nutrients you're applying so that there's no limiting nutrient to growth and, and the uh, balanced supply is available to the crop. 
right rate. Um, not surprising that is the amount that you would apply. So taking into account how much of those nutrients that you're looking at are in the soil, are available in sources, are applied with fertilizer and determining how much of that nutrient or nutrients in the balanced supply that you need for your crop. Um, depending on um, where you are in Canada, uh, this may vary. Um, and then also depending on the crop type you're growing, this may vary as well. Um, so looking at what is in the soil by taking a soil sample is one of a few ways that you can determine the right rate to apply, especially after a crop rotation. Um, and you're trying to determine how much that rotation offered the soil for your crop that, that season. Time, as I mentioned, um, you know, avoiding times where the loss risk is, is more high or likely. So not, you know, applying before rainfall or, or a snow event or something like that. Um, also applying at a time when the crop is known to take up those nutrients in its growth cycle or, or growth patterns, um, which obviously may differ for the crop that you're growing as well. So understanding um, you know, is there split application um, that could help? Um, obviously, you can get a lot more fine-tuned than that, um, but that's generally um, considering the timing component um, can have a great um, reduction on losses and, and improve uptake of nutrients. And lastly, um, placement. Uh, so obviously a, a soybean plant versus a potato plant versus canola um, may have, uh, well, do have different rooting systems. Um, and um, again, taking into account, this is a holistic model. So what's the soil type? What's the moisture and climate like? What kind of source are you using? And then tying that into where you can best place those nutrients so that the crop can, or the root system can easily take up those nutrients into, into the crop. Um, so we have um, uh, specifics that I'll get to at a later slide to show you, um, but generally Fertilizer Canada is, we are the Canadian uh, Fertilizer Association uh, that promotes for nutrient stewardship and its programming across the country. Uh, we work with uh, both provincial and federal governments as well as grower organizations and conservation groups. Uh, notably, we have what we call memorandums of understanding or agreements in uh, most of the crop producing provinces across the country, including Prince Edward Island. Um, we have a number of demonstration farms. We have a four research network, which is really um, the science based start to all of this that we lean on to um, determine and um, advance best management practices for nutrient stewardship. We also have a survey that we uh, conduct that goes out to growers across the country, uh, asking them what their practices are, uh, what their farming operations are like, so that we can gain a better uh, understanding of what Canadian growers um, see as being the opportunities or barriers when it relates to nutrient management planning, as well as um, what they do on their farm today. Uh, so we can tell if um, how many farmers are soil sampling or doing a split application or using an enhanced efficiency source. Uh, and then notably, we have four uh, agri-retailer programming. So we promote um, a four designation program across the country, which um, aims to disseminate the results from research uh, through our certified crop advisors across Canada to their grower customers to help make recommendations with the most up-to-date information on uh, best practices for their farm. 
and operation when it comes to uh, nutrient application. So the research network, we uh, had a previous three-year uh, research program and now continue our research with matched funding dollars from the government and from the fertilizer industry in North America. Um, these research projects go from Western Canada all the way out to Atlantic Canada. Uh, Dr. David Burton is one of our leading soil scientists um, in uh, Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island. Uh, and so this is a sample of some of the findings. So obviously a lot more work went into the background of determining these uh, best practices. But scientific research shows that by following things like banding your nitrogen or um, other split application types and whatnot can both lower emissions or runoff of nutrients. Um, while maintaining yields or, or contributing those nutrients to the crop. So again, this is a holistic approach that looks at certain um, best management practice types for um, different crops across Canada. And that's um, detailed in a report that went into this, this figure. Uh, it may be difficult for you to see this, um, hopefully not. And, and I told Ashley I'm happy to share all these documents with her and, and can share it with the audience as well. Um, but as an example, we do have uh, suites of uh, what we call guidance practices. So obviously um, not any one farm necessarily looks the same. Um, and obviously uh, also these practices and guidance range across Canada depending on the, the crop type and soil conditions. So we've worked with our scientists and technical experts to take the literature and what we know in terms of agronomy practices and provide suites of practices for different source rate, time and placement options. Uh, we also provide um, different levels of uh, uh, implementation. So there's kind of a basic for our practice, which includes, you know, certain suites and that's sort of the first, I guess, rung on the ladder, if you will. And then there's opportunities or options to tweak different areas of the suites of practices to um, better fine tune nutrient uptake and, and uh, further improve your sustainability goals. Um, and that goes all the way to to advance. So you can see in certain um, right source categories, you know, we can start off by just ensuring that there's a guaranteed analysis to what you're applying at a basic level. Um, and then all the way up to advanced, we're looking at more enhanced efficiency products. Are there still release options or nitrification inhibitors? Um, similar with other um, practices like right time. So, you know, applying nitrogen in the spring before at planting and no application of nitrogen on frozen or snow covered ground would be a basic level. Um, but then as you're moving towards more intermediate and advanced, that's when a split application um, is considered. Uh, so generally speaking, this is our guidance tables that go through our agronomy programs, through our agri-retailers or certified crop advisors. And this is what helps guide them to what best practices are. But again, it may look very different um, from farm to farm and that this program does provide the flexibility to fine tune um, these guidance principles as needed. Uh, so this is the same example, but for phosphorus. So we have um, guidance tables for every major crop rotation across Canada and we have them for both nitrogen and phosphorus. Obviously there are micro, micronutrient needs um, and other nutrients, but these tables are for the, the first two um, macronutrients uh, that we have. 
Uh, finally, we have our designation program. So if you're a retailer on the line or a grower and you're interested in participating in this program, um, these are kind of the steps to participate. But again, I'm happy to share more information. This is a voluntary program. It's um, you know distributed and administrated by the fertilizer industry, but it's very much left to the hands of your you know, trusted advisor, either at your retail company or at an uh, independent consultant. Uh, what we do is we um, offer for our nutrient stewardship training uh, online for anyone, but we, we ask that a certified crop advisor take the training and then provide us with um, an attestation form that they are a certified crop advisor, that they've taken the four training requirements and that they're interested in um, providing for information to their growers and helping our industry count acres. Uh, so we leave um, the discussion between the certified crop advisor or, or PAG or, or whoever to discuss that with their grower and um, customer and decide what's best for their farm. Fertilizer Canada never sees that. That stays um, private and confidential with the, the advisor or the company. Um, all we ask for from the retailer at the end of the year is a combined um, consolidation of all the acres that have been determined and signed off on as being for our acres so that we can report that um, within our sustainability metrics and goals and provide that information um, to governments, uh, bodies and others when discussing uh, progress with for uh, implementation. And my final slide is, uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot um, of information around carbon markets, carbon protocols. Um, we have, uh, over the last decade, uh, been involved in this space where, you know, questioned of, okay, we know that if someone, a grower, is implementing different four-hour suites of practices, that they can reduce their nitrous oxide emissions by up to 35%. Um, and these follow that basic intermediate and advanced categories and provide conservative estimates for the reduction that would be achieved with any um, suite of practice that would be implemented. And the idea is then these acres can be verified, qualified, uh, aggregated through either a voluntary or a regulatory carbon market as they develop, and that dollars could be returned to the grower as um, you know, a reward or incentive for reducing that um, greenhouse gas from the environment uh, and reducing carbon. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, action in this space, uh, but definitely these carbon markets are still developing both in Canada and globally. Um, so we play you know, a piece in, in providing an opportunity for a protocol when it comes to nitrogen management. And that's the uh, end of my presentation. I hope I, I stay within my 15 minutes. And again, uh, I welcome any questions you may have and look forward to the discussion after the, the other speakers. Thank you. Thanks, Mackenzie. Such a great job there. So remember, if you have any questions for the presenters, please type those into the chat box at any time during the webinar and we'll address them during the question and answer session after the presentations. Our next presenter is John Mesco, who is the Executive Director of the Potato Sustainability Alliance. He has an extensive and diverse agricultural background, including agronomic sales and service, information management, university education, farming, and nonprofit leadership. He brings expertise in engaging farmers and the food and farming value chain in understanding and implementing sustainable farming practices, as well as documenting and demonstrating sustainable improvements along the way. 
Take it away, please, John. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of the webinar, and I want to thank everybody for joining. Uh, as Ashley said, my name is John Mesco, and the Potato Sustainability Alliance is an interesting organization. Uh, we are working both in the United States and Canada. Uh, in a sense, we, we, uh, we collect, analyze, and report on-farm sustainability data. Uh, we do this through two uh, specific ways currently, and that is through a PSA grower survey. It's an outcome-based on-farm sustainability survey that we reach between five and 600 farms in the U.S. and Canada. And then we also collect irrigation and nutrient data from potato processors, and we've been collecting that since 2015. You know, one of the things we do is collect the information to support demonstrating uh, and verifying those good practices that uh, we, we just heard from Mackenzie about. You know, one of the things that's really important as we go forward is more and more people are interested in verifying and confirming uh, the claims that are being made around sustainability. And so our organization uh, does that in, in all aspects of sustainability, fertilizer, but then also water, carbon, and so forth. Uh, our program is growing and we're taking on new new metrics and, and new tools for collecting that information all the time. A few weeks ago, Spud, uh, Spud Spark reached out to me to uh, talk about this webinar and to talk about fertilizer sustainability. And one of the things we do at PSA is try to connect our industry, try to make sure that everybody is involved in this conversation. And so uh, Yara International is one of our members along with a lot of other folks that you probably are familiar with. Uh, and I then reached out to Erica at YAR and asked if she'd be interested in, in doing a presentation on our behalf at this webinar. And so uh, this is the PSA update for you all. Uh, you can see our members are across the entire uh, potato industry. Everybody from various grower organization, organizations in both countries to allied industry folks, uh, organizations that are contributing information and products and services to the potato industry, fresh marketers, uh, buyers, environmental NGOs and processors are all involved in PSA. Our goal is to have one place to go get sustainability information for potato growers. And with that, uh, I'll turn it back over to Ashley. Thanks, John. And as mentioned, our next speaker, uh, Erica Wagner with Yara North America, is a member of the PSA. So as you can see, everything ties in together today. So as, as mentioned, our final presenter is Erica Wagner, who is the potato crop manager at Yara North America. She works with teams across North America to develop potato crop nutrition programs to meet crop needs throughout the season using 4R nutrient management principles. So ties back to our first presenter. And she also leads Yara's Potato Incubator Farm Initiative in the Columbia Basin of Washington, which is aimed at fostering collaborative research to explore the role of crop nutrition in potato production, productivity, profitability, and sustainability. As a member of the Potato Sustainability Alliance, Yara North America is committed to working to advance potato sustainability towards best understanding the role that fertility plays in the potato sustainability story. Take it away, please, Erica. All right, well, thank you so much for that introduction. And, and thank you, John, for reaching out uh, to Yara to do this part of the presentation. Um, as, as John mentioned, we're a part of the PSA and 
We're excited to be have the nutrient um, working on the nutrient portion of the sustainability solution in potatoes with with the rest of the industry. So first to talk about how to improve sustainability in potatoes using crop nutrition, it's important to define sustainability and what it actually means for the potato industry as there have been many ambitious sustainability goals set by the industry from processors to buyers and government and many of the goals are driven by consumers. Um, and there are many, many ways to define sustainability in terms around sustainability. Um, as John mentioned, one of the goals of PSA is to work together across the industry to identify sustainable practices and provide a forum for an agreement on common metrics to use to measure sustainability across the industry. Now, I'm just gonna focus in this talk, kind of to simplify things a little bit, on the metric of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, Greenhouse gases are gases in the atmosphere that allow sunlight to pass through the atmosphere, but prevent heat from that sunlight from leaving the atmosphere. They make Earth habitable, habitable by trapping this heat and warming the Earth, but too many greenhouse gases can make um, be a major contributor to climate change. And the main greenhouse gases are water vapor, CO2, methane, ozone, nitrous oxide, and chlorofluorocarbons. Now, carbon footprint, is a way to estimate the total emission volume of greenhouse gases. And the measurement actually accounts for multiple greenhouse gases, but it may be confusing because it's called a carbon footprint. It's expressed in terms of carbon dioxide equivalency, which just allows a straightforward apples to apples comparison of activities, events, or products that might be otherwise difficult to compare across industries. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about how um, fertilizer management and nutrient management can impact carbon footprint on potato production specifically. Now globally, agriculture contributes to about 20% of greenhouse gas emissions. And of that 20%, 5% comes from mineral fertilizer use and 6% comes from mineral fertilizer production. Now, if we zoom in a little closer and look at greenhouse gas emissions in the potato industry, I've chosen this life cycle assessment of a frozen French fry as a case study example. This will change a little bit um, if you're thinking about fresh market potatoes or chip potatoes or seed potatoes, but I wanted to focus up a little bit and start with frozen French fries as an example. A life cycle assessment is a cradle to grave measurement of all the energy and materials used to develop and operate a product or service. So for this example, it's a cradle to grave assessment of the greenhouse gas emissions of a frozen French fry. And here you can see that on-farm emissions make up about 18% of total emissions of that final frozen French fry product. Whereas the activities of the processor make up about 33% of the overall emissions, retailer 11%, and consumer and food service actually make up about 38% of overall emissions. Um, so there's, there are a lot of factors that make up the final life cycle assessment for a French fry. And as an industry, there's a potential to reduce emissions at many points in the life cycle. So really the best way to meet our sustainability goals as an industry is by working together towards them. Um, for on-farm emissions, there may be years where our greenhouse gas emissions per French fry is really low because we had a great yield, great quality, great weather, um, used the fertilizer in a way where we didn't have as many losses. 
but there also may be years where there's unexpected weather events, which happens more often than not these days where, you know, maybe the yield's a little lower or quality's a little lower than we'd like. So the on-farm emissions may increase or decrease from year to year, but that may be able to be balanced by an uh, innovation at the processor where they're using less energy or reducing waste in a way. So as an industry, I think there's potential for progress um, each year. Now let's dig a little bit deeper into that 18% that represents on-farm emissions. This slide actually comes from uh, the Fruit and Vegetable Supply Chain Climate Adaptation and Mitigation Opportunities Project. And if you're interested at all in this, I recommend looking that up. They have some really good videos discussing this project um, where they're looking at the greenhouse gas emissions in different crops and some opportunities to mitigate those. Uh, but for now, I'm gonna focus on the potatoes portion of this graph where they've broken down on-farm emissions um, by different categories. And as you can see here for potato on the right, NPK actually makes up about 30% of total on-farm emissions for potato. So let's talk about how we can reduce that um, orange bar, that 30% NPK of the on-farm emissions. So when considering the role of crop nutrition on carbon footprint and potato production, should take a holistic approach, taking into account the production of the inputs you're using in field emissions on farm, and also the impact of your fertility on yield quality and storability. So for the first part, thinking about how your inputs are manufactured, um, one thing that makes YAR unique is that we've actually been working to reduce our emissions in the manufacturing process for 20 years. And we're leading in, the, in reducing emissions in fertilizer manufacturing, especially of our nitrate fertilizer products, by using a nitrate, nitrous oxide abatement catalyst technology that lowers our emissions in manufacturing and also using energy efficient sources. So already our emissions are reduced by 50 to 60 percent compared to other non-EU fertilizers. And in the future, we're also looking at using more renewable energy resources in addition to the abatement catalyst to reduce our emissions in manufacturing by 90 to 95%. So just by choosing inputs that have manufacturing process with low emissions, you can lower your emissions of your on-farm potato production. Next, I'll talk a little bit about some strategies on farm during the season to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, these include thinking about transportation and fuel usage when you're applying your fertilizer, improving nutrient use efficiency and reducing nutrient losses, thinking about water productivity. So a crop that is nutrient starved uses about the same amount of water as a crop that has good nutrition and yields much less. So by using by providing your crop with the nutrients it needs, you actually use the water much more efficiently on farm. So nutrient use, nutrient management can improve water productivity. Um, fertilizer choice obviously can um, impact greenhouse gas emissions. And then finally, focusing on providing the crop with the nutrition it needs to have the optimal yield, optimal quality, and then managing to reduce the impact of any environmental stress in season to really get the best yield and quality at the end of the year poss as possible. So I'm just gonna highlight a few of these points. I'm not gonna go through all of them um, in order to make the best use of time. 
The first one I'm going to talk about is um, improving nutrient use efficiency and reducing nutrient loss. I'm not going to dive too deep in here because we've had a good introduction on 4R nutrient stewardship principles, um, but they are important to have the best nutrient use efficiency and the, the reduce your nutrient losses. So it's important to use the right source of crop nutrition at the right time, using the right placement and the right rate. It's especially important for potatoes because potato has a smaller rooting system compared to other crops like cereals. In addition to a smaller root length, they also have fewer fine roots than other crops. So the volume of soil from which potatoes can extract nutrients is smaller than in other crops. And therefore fertilizer placement is very important for potatoes. And while there are some nutrients that are needed in larger amounts than others, each nutrient plays a unique role in potato production and each nutrient contributes to yield by fulfilling specific functions within the plant. So regardless of how much of a nutrient is needed, each of the nutrients are needed to get your best yield and a deficiency in any nutrient will reduce quality and yield. So the, the best results come from supplying a whole nutrient management program to provide the crop with the needs, its needs during the season and using a dynamic nutrient management planning by providing the crop with um, the nutrients it needs throughout the season using soil and plant sampling to identify nutrient needs and providing the crop with the needs it needs is really the best approach to nutrient management throughout the season. Now I'm gonna skip down to that last point there, which is managing for tuber quality at harvest and in storage. And the idea here is really to provide the crop with the nutrients it needs um, and therefore develop a high quality crop in, in the um, grade and quality you're looking for in the end, which should reduce waste, it should reduce loss in storage, and it should reduce waste at the processor. So the first thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was managing for tuber grade. Um, most nutrients uh, increase tuber size, but if you're growing a seed crop or a chip crop and you want a higher tuber set and you maybe aren't looking just for tuber size, I'd recommend using phosphorus at tuber initiation to make sure you get that tuber set. Um, calcium can also increase size and reduce set, but it's very important for quality. So I would use recommend using calcium, but also making sure to use a shot of phosphorus at tuber initiation for tuber set if you're looking for that um, increased set for like a chip or seed crop. Now the next thing I want to talk a little bit about was managing for tuber quality throughout the season. Um, in Improving your tuber quality leads to less waste at harvest, less waste in storage, and less food waste. And better quality going into storage means better quality coming out of storage and higher marketable yield. Um, the color coding here can be a little bit confusing, so kind of ignore the greens and reds and I'll just talk through it. Um, everyone knows that nitrogen is an important nutrient for the crop, but it's also important to manage your nitrogen well because too much nitrogen, particularly late in the season, can negatively impact quality. It can negatively impact skin finish and skin set and can cause the tubers to bruise more easily and can also lead to growth cracks and in more incidences of internal blemishes. So it's important to manage nitrogen well 
making split applications is a good idea. Um, and if possible, if you can, if you're applying through a pivot, making many small applications throughout the season to apply the nutrient when it's needed is a good way to uh, manage for both yield and quality. Calcium is extremely important for potato tuber quality. Um, it, it aids in cell wall stability and cell wall strength, which helps provide a physical barrier against pathogens and can help reduce storage, <clears throat> storage rocks and establish and maintain skin firmness. It also actually inhibits the enzymes produced by fungi and bacteria, bacteria that degrade cell walls. So it can really improve a lot of your tuber quality characteristics. In addition, boron works with calcium to provide cell wall flexibility. Um, and therefore, boron and calcium together is a really good combination for um, tuber quality. And then potassium, it can, uh, it's obviously needed in large quantities in potato. Um, but form of potassium matters, different forms. So um, the myriad of potash, the chloride ion can sometimes lead to lower specific gravities um, compared to sulfate of potash. So form of potassium matters um, and also timing and rates matter. So really everything comes down to for our nutrient stewardship. If you're applying the, the nutrient the crop needs at the rate and time it needs, you're gonna have the best quality tuber. Um, so these are really just examples of ways to use for our nutrient management to um, get at the best, the best quality for your crop and therefore lower the carbon footprint of your overall end use product. And then finally, um, managing for processing quality can help reduce waste both in storage and at the processor. Um, nitrogen and potassium, if managed properly, um, are excellent nutrients. If managed improperly, can lead to slightly reduced specific gravities. Um, so that, again, goes back to for our nutrient management. Um, and then um, boron and potassium can help with some enzymatic, uh, lead to lower enzymatic browning and enzymatic discoloration. So there are some qualities there of different nutrients that can um, actually improve cooking, cooking quality. But once again, it all goes back to using the right right, the right time, the right nutrients, so like the four-hour nutrient management practices. And finally, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to manage to reduce the impact of environmental stresses during the season. Um, we That's one thing that's hard to control in agriculture is the year you're going to have and the season you're going to have. And we've all experienced in last year quite a bit of heat stress and drought stress and um, so one way to manage for heat and drought stress is providing the crop with the nutrients it needs, especially with uh, calcium and potassium. So calcium is important in water regulation. It's, it's needed to forward the drought signal from the roots to the upper leaves of the plant, and it works with potassium to help um, potassium function as a transport for the stomatal opening. And potassium plays a very important role in control of plant water status and ionic concentrations inside the plant. So it's important for water use efficiency and promoting good photosynthesis, especially in times of stress. Again, boron works with calcium um, and in combination, they can help the plant in, in resistance to environmental stresses. 
And phosphorus um, provides a good source of energy to the plant. So if you're having um, a lot of heat stress around, around bulking, a foliar phosphorus application can provide energy needed for that bulking during heat stress. And then finally, um, calcium, phosphorus, and potassium can promote good root growth and having good root growth can allow for better scavenging and uptaking of available water and resistance to drought stress during the season. And then cold stress, um, potassium can function as an antifreeze or salt solution in the plant sap to help lower the freezing point of that plant and improve tolerance to frost stress. Um, and calcium and boron can help improve cell wall strength and flexibility, which in turn can help with frost stress as well. So we understand that on-farm emissions will change from year to year because of changes in the environment and stresses the plants will experience and natural variability from year to year and field to field. So Yara is committed to helping growers use crop nutrition to improve sustainability year after year using a practical systems-based approach, working with growers on farm to understand the best nutrient management practices for that crop year to year. And we have a new incubator farm in Eastern Washington with a goal to do just that. We're looking to explore the synergies of crop nutrition and carbon footprint reduction and potato production and helping to use good nutrient management practices to tackle the challenge of potato production that we're presented with each and every year. Um, what I've reviewed with you today is a little bit high level and, and applies across really all potato growing regions, um, but we do have teams of agronomists across Canada, Eastern and Western Canada, and across North America who are ex experts in regional potato crop nutrition programs, and they are working towards similar goals of using good nutrient management practices to produce the best crop possible from year to year. So as, as we mentioned in the very beginning, Yara's mission is to responsibly feed the world and protect the planet. And we are excited to work through PSA to um, really understand the best way to use crop nutrient management to improve sustainability in potato and work with the industry towards all of our sustainability goals. So to recap, there are many ways to define sustainability. One metric that you can use is greenhouse gas emissions. We've discussed many ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions using nutrient management. One constant way to, that you can reduce greenhouse gas emissions is by choosing inputs manufactured with low greenhouse gas emissions. And then year to year, you're, you know, we experience a variety of challenges, um, but We've discussed some ways that you can reduce on-farm emissions um, year to year, including following for our nutrient management principles to improve efficiency and reduce losses, providing the crop with what it needs, when it needs it during the season and the year you're having, and how that all ties into improving quality and yield to get the, the highest yield, the best quality yield, and reduce waste at the storage and at the processor. So that's my presentation, and I'd be happy to um, answer any questions after this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erica. That was a great presentation. So as mentioned, it is time for our short question and answer session. So if you have any questions for our presenters that you haven't typed in yet, please type them into the chat box now, and we'll get going with the questions we have. So we have one question from the audience which says, can 
PAGs take the four-hour training to be able to receive designation, or do they also have to be a CCA? So I'm thinking this question is for Mackenzie. Yeah, thanks, Ashley. Thanks for the question. Um, yes, PAGs, uh, professional agrologists or agronomists can um, receive, can take the four-hour training online and uh, become a four-hour, what we call a four-hour designated agronomist. Um, what we ask for in the situations for PAGs is just um, an additional very brief summary of what your education and experience is. Um, it's just easier from the certified crop advisor standpoint to know um, how it aligns from province to province. But as long as you have the education and agronomy experience, um, we're happy to, to provide that training and, and designation as well. Thank you, Erica. And we have another question. Is NH3 ever used part of total N requirements in heavy soil? And I think this one will be for Erica. So I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of how to answer that question. So um, the potato crop can use both nitrate and ammonia um, forms of nitrogen fertilizer. And I believe, I believe the preferred quantity is like 30% ammonia, 70% nitrate, or it may even be 80-20. Um, so both, yeah, you can use fertilizer, which has both nitrate and ammonia um, forms of nitrogen in it. And I believe the preferred ratio is around 80-20. Um, so I hope that answers the question. I'm not sure though. Thank you, Erica. And our next question is, at what temperature does untreated nitrogen in brackets urea vol volatize? Thinking for Erica again. <laughs> you know, I don't know that answer off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Um, I would have to look that up. Yeah, we can definitely get that information out later. Thank you so much, Erica. It's always understandable when we're doing these live presentations. We don't know every little detail. <laughs> um, so our next question is, what is the effectiveness of time-release dry fertilizers? And I think this question could kind of go out to maybe everybody. Um, I'm sure both Erica and Mackenzie might have some information about this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to jump in. I was actually just trying to bring up our key findings report as well. So I don't know, Erica, if you, if you know the answer off the top of your head, but I know we have research on enhanced efficiency fertilizers, which is kind of the umbrella term, right, for different types of enhanced products, including time like slow release um, coatings or nitrification inhibitors. Um, generally speaking, I think I can quote like 30 to up to even 50%, depending on the location, the crop type, the fertilizer. Um, so again, I was just trying to pull up some of our reports for the pea, like the potato case more specifically, or more even specifically than that, the slow release. Um, uh, so I can I can bring that up and or send it out afterwards. But generally speaking, I think I can I can quote those sort of broad percentages. But Erica, you may know. Yeah, I don't I don't have um, like actual numbers in front of me, but I'm just thinking off the top of my head of, um, you know, one one way that dry release or time release dry fertilizers can be used um, to improve sustainability is by even thinking about, you know, um, using 
using them as a way to maybe reduce a pass in the field or extend the availability of the nitrogen in your product so you're not getting it all at once if you're not able to make an extra pass in the field. Um, so I, I don't think that answers the question, but it's just what I had uh, thought of from that question. Thank you. And I see John did a bit of research and popped up in the chat for us in regards to the nitrogen uh, volatizing question. Uh, John, would you like to hop on and just kind of give an update on what you found there online? Well, I linked to the article that uh, I found that in. Um, it was a quick Google search, so, you know, it is what it is. But um, there's a, some uh, a document out of Montana that kind of covers the general things that you know, Dave, I think your question is what temperature it's, it's probably in that 50 to 60 degree range, but it could be affected by some of those other factors that are listed there. And just for those watching later, the document that we're talking about is from land resources in Montana. So if you just want to search up online, you should be able to find that. Uh, I think we're wrapping up questions, though, but I'm just going to quickly first off say to our presenters, is there anything else you guys would like to add? <laughs> Maybe something commenting on what you saw in one of the other presenters' presentations? I appreciate the, as Mackenzie here from Fertilizer Canada, I appreciated the way that you lined up the, the speakers. Obviously, I'm coming from a, a national perspective and um, you know, there's, I think we can say there's only so much we can do in getting into all the details of, you know, um, specifics like that were asked here, even in today's discussion um, around uh, different uh, source types and split application when it comes specifically to potatoes in Atlantic Canada and PEI versus, you know, the other crop types. So I found it very interesting to see kind of from more of my high level presentation down to more of the, the actual implementation that, that Erica spoke to. So, John, Erica, anything to add? Yeah, I just uh, enjoyed enjoyed everybody's presentation, and it's definitely a topic that is important right now, and it's exciting to uh, be all working towards this this solution together. And um, it's it's great to be a part of an organization like PSA, where they're really looking to kind of bring together all these ideas and all the experts in the industry to um, figure out a solution together in a collaborative way. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate having you all here to talk about this and, um, yeah, it's, it was a really good, um, learning experience as well. Thank you. I agree with that. Thank you everybody for tuning in today and certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk about PSA and the kinds of things we're working on within the industry. Thank you, guys. Um, so thank you once again to Mackenzie, John, and Erica for joining us and for your presentation. You guys all did a great prep job. And that is all the time we have today. So I would once again like to thank our sponsor, McCain, for making this webinar possible. And a big thank you to goes out to everyone for participating. I hope you have found this information valuable. And again, a recording of this webinar will be made available on spudsmart.com shortly following this webinar. Thank you once again and have a wonderful day.